On today's episode of The Learning Man, we are gonna be digging deep into race identity. We are gonna be speaking to guest Elijah May. Elijah has a very interesting story. He's half black, half Jewish. He was raised in the hills of North Carolina, graduated from USC, and often feels like he is the only black guy in the room. You are not going to want to miss this one. Welcome to The Learning Man. Um, I am super, super excited about today's episode. Um, today, we are going to be talking about a very uh, heavy topic. Um, we're going to be talking about race identity. And uh, it's one of those topics that uh, a lot of times we as men don't feel comfortable in, in talking about that because it's, uh, you know, it's kind of like a, it's a vulnerable kind of uh, topic, um, especially when um, we're trying trying to, you know, showcase who we are um, as men. And uh, today on the show, I've, uh, I'm super excited to introduce to you um, a chief marketing officer. He is a robotics enthusiast, and uh, he enjoys, in his words, uh, he loves to start shit. This is what he, he said. He, he uh, kind of, uh, you know, introduces himself everywhere he goes. He says, hi, my name is Elijah May, and I love to start shit. So, um, Elijah, how are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks for asking. Yeah. Thanks for coming out of the show, man. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Yeah. As you know, I this has uh, been kind of, uh, you know, you've been a longtime friend, a longtime mentor to me, and uh, there's actually not a lot of people that I genuinely uh, appreciate as much as as I do you. Um, you've been such a, a huge part of my of my uh, my career path, and 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 one of my favorite people in the entire world. So I'm so excited to have you here. It means a lot, man. Thank yeah, you. definitely, definitely. Um, so one of the things I wanted to talk to you talk to you about, and we've had a bunch of different conversations, and I feel like these uh, these are types of uh, these are conversations that need to be uh, captured, and hopefully. That can impact, um, you know, younger men that are coming up through the ranks. And I think it's also very important to kind of give back to them. And uh, I wanted to talk to you about kind of um, what your story is kind of growing up. Man, we went we went down this rabbit hole once before. We did. Um, it's uh, I watched that back. It was it was it was hard to watch. Right. Because, you know, um, I didn't realize how emotional my reaction to telling that story would be, um, you know, but to make a long story short, I think that, you know, it's a different format. We got to, we got to do it all yeah. over again. Okay. So, yeah. um, I realized at 18 years old when I stopped to do the math, when I was going to USC, um, that it would be my 18th move. I'd moved 18 times in 18 years. And so to say that we had a vagabond life was a bit of an understatement. Um, and, my mom, you know, went to a good college and went to Antioch in, in Ohio and then, um, you know, met my dad at a bar and, you know, they did it for a while, talked about having kids. Um, he said he didn't really want to. And so um, when she got pregnant, she being a fierce feminist said, I got this and left. And um, just kind of dragged me around the world. On, I mean, we didn't. We which which that in itself, I mean, sorry to interrupt, but I mean that in itself is such a huge, like testament to your mom's strength and will. Yeah. Like, 
just wanting to, you know, I don't need no man. You know, I can do this on my own. For better or for worse. Yeah, it's true. I mean, um, like, is as a, a man who's half black and half white, I mean, and, and who ended up moving to the mountains of North Carolina where I was the only black person, you know, in the county that we're aware of, um, it was and, and now that I'm a little older, like things that I, I hate being a statistic, right? So I hate, yeah, I'm a black guy who grew up without a dad, but I hate that that feeds into a narrative that people already have in their heads. Mm-hmm. And the simple truth is, is that my dad tried to get my mom to stay and she just left and she left. Like she, <laughs> she moved to Florida and went to work training racehorses and then bounced around, went with the the organization when it moved to North Carolina. Um, and I didn't meet my dad till I was 12. And so it's, it's a unique story, but unfortunately parts of it are sort of like, there's a really familiar narrative about a black kid growing up without a black dad. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hate that. And, and I find that, you know, I'll do things to avoid even subconsciously, like I'm without a joke. Right. If I'm in a picnic and people are eating watermelon, I won't. Right, I like I. D- that is so sad. Yeah, because watermelon is delicious. Watermelon fried chicken. I generally like. I'll eat them if everybody else is eating it, but I will never, ever, ever eat those things. First. You'll never be the first one. At the Absolutely table. not. Um, and it's a silly thing to do, right? Like, I mean, food's food. We all like it or like or don't like what we like. Um, but there's something in me that like is always pushed back against. <laughs> that was me. Yeah, that was me uh, uh, bumping the uh, mic with my ring. My apologies, audience. That giant Texas A&M ring. <laughs> <laughs> you just want to talk about Texas A&M. My daughter wants to go there. She's really excited about she it. Yeah. Um, I noticed you guys didn't reply to my my video about Texas A&M. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Some things are better better left <laughs> unsaid. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, the point is, uh, it's amazing how many of my closest friends went to Texas A&M. I almost went to Texas A&M. Um, USC, I found out about, about afterwards, but uh, I got offered the scholarship and I was like, I'm out of here. So, um, yeah, I mean, I've tried really hard uh, as someone who had no black family growing up, who had no black friends growing up until I was in high school, Um you had no black identity to speak of, right? Like it's a, it's a weird thing to say to say I didn't have a black identity because, I mean, the Ku Klux Klan would threaten to burn down my house once a year, give or take, and and like kill our pets. And, you know, people loved – like I, I, I joke, but it's, it's true. There were people I grew up around who believed in their heart of hearts that they hated black people, but they'd never seen one before. And there are lots of things that they really wanted to say to a black person. So I come along, you know, and I'm half black, close enough, and I'm, I'm a tiny kid, right? So I got um, a lot of verbal abuse, a lot of physical abuse, um, a lot of threats. And effectively, I mean, you're, you're, you're half black and half Jewish, yeah. but you were raised like Jewish-ish Not even. and in the hills of North Carolina. Well, so – Country. Well, at seven, right? So my mom decides uh, she becomes a Christian. And so we start going to Christian church. And I'm like, oh, that's what we, you know, that's our identity now, mm-hmm. um, which in some ways helped, but also really upset my grandparents. Like the only sort of like foundation we had was, you know, <laughs> like on my grand, my mother's parents' side. Um, so it's, 
yeah, I mean, you talk about like a hodgepodge of identities, you know, the the running jokes like, oh, you're not really black. I'm like, well, that's great. Well, could you tell the KKK to stop threatening to burn our shit down then? <laughs> like, yeah. like either I am like to some people I'm not black and to some people I'm not white. And I'm like, I don't even fucking care anymore, to be honest with you. I mean, I think that my identity, there's no question, is as a black person. I don't think that there's, I'll, that'll ever go away. I remember – you know, when, when you're a kid and you have to fill out the forms and like, you know, check race here. And I was like, I'm half black and half white. Which one do I check? And yeah. they're like, you're black, right? You're Which, not like the rest of us. We're exactly. white. So you check the other one. Which also, you know, in, in you know, into a transition here. But I mean, that that is always never like that. That has never made sense to me. You know, that just because just because you know if you are mixed race then you have to choose and the one that you choose or the one that you're told to choose is the one that's the darker complexion it feels like i think that's i do think that's true i think there's a there's a flip side to that right and the flip side is this if we're trying to understand the dynamics of like what is it like to be a black person in america like does it affect your ability to succeed you know, financially, socially, whatever. Um, if you're perceived as black and the forms identify you as black, then it's going to tell a truer story. Does that make sense? Right? Because I was treated as a black person. I'm making air quotes here, right? Mm-hmm. Growing up. And I mean, like my mom has two college degrees. And yeah, she's, a, she's eccentric to be sure. But like the only reason that she couldn't get a good job is because she had a black kid, right? Like, it was racism that was the barrier that kept us in poverty growing up, even though she's a world-class equestrian with two college degrees. Um, and so if I check black on a, any form, any document, right, like if you're looking at the statistics, it's worth noting, right, that my race played – my race, my specifically being a black person, played a significant factor in the type of life that we had. So on one hand, I think it's bullshit, right? I'm like, this is stupid. I'm half black, half white. It doesn't make a difference. But in reality, I was and am perceived as black. And although now everyone's – there's so many mixed people running around and, and you know, there's so many um, Islanders who made it, made it in, the, in the NFL. No one knows what I am anymore. But – it is true that that identity had a profound impact on on my life. And if you're trying to keep stats, right, if I'm a statistician, mm-hmm. I, want, I want that information. I want to be able to, to infer from that data what the reality of the situation is. That's interesting. And that's also a very kind of like mature way to think about it as well. It took me a while. Yeah. To get there. Yeah. I mean, like for me, you know um, – you know, job applications, like whatever, whatever type mm-hmm. of like paperwork, it's always, I always hate the ones that all that say, um, are you Hispanic or Latino? And that's its own section, right? Like that's its own thing. Right. And I'm like, why? You'll even it, see like, what does it even matter? You know what I mean? Like, or, or it says on the bottom, it, it'll say, um, are you Hispanic or Latino or are you uh, Native American or of indigenous or not indigenous, but uh, Native Alaskan or whatever. And I'm like, um, well, technically I'm Hispanic and Latino, but I also have, you know, I also have white in there. I've got, uh, you know, I've got, uh, you know, I'm like 20% Native American, you know, and, you know, secretly I'm like, man, maybe I should just go ahead and check off the Native American one. So, you know, 
the HR person go, Ooh, we need this person for, for diversity, you know? Oh, like, look, I mean, um, you know, one of those things that I still, I still think a lot about and I have, I've, I've mixed feelings on it is, you know, affirmative action in general. And I think that, mm-hmm. which goes back to the point I was trying to make, right? So, um, my grades were garbage. They were garbage. My test scores were great. My grades were garbage, but in fairness, um, none of my classmates had anyone trying to burn their house down, right? Like, um, like the, the reality of the world of the situation that I lived in was a direct output of being a black person in a place where they didn't want black people. So, um, and there's no question that affected the, the housing situation that we had, our, our access to really anything that we needed. Um, my mother's ability to go and, and get help when she needed it, um, or, you know, to do business with certain people who were like, you're not bringing that kid over here. So it, um, on one hand, I'm like, I believe in meritocracy. On the other hand, I'm like, you got to, you got to look at the situation that, that an individual came through to really understand, you know, what they're going to be capable of in the right situation. Interesting. And so, okay. So you, your, your mom picked up, left, y'all went to North Carolina mm-hmm. and you've, you've often told me that you always feel like you're the only black guy in the room. Well, I have been most of my life, right? Like, I mean, you know, from – it used to be the only, you know, the, the poor black kid. It was the only black kid in any of the schools I went to, again, until until high school. And there were, there were five of us in high school. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I went to school with probably somewhere about 750 to 800 kids and I could name all the black kids, right? Um, and – Which I, I came from a predominantly – you know, Hispanic neighborhood or Hispanic town, you know, um, you could name all the white, all the white kids and all the black kids. Right. I mean, there was like only a, a handful of families. So I totally, I totally identify with that. I understand what you're saying. Yeah. It was, um, it's, it's come to my attention because of Facebook, right? Like people are popping up on Facebook and I'm like, I don't, I don't know who that is. And they're like, but they were like, we went to school with them for three years. I'm like, no idea. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like we sat right next to them. Like I have no idea who that person is. Um, it's interesting who does and doesn't stick in your memory for whatever reason. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So my point, what would the heck my point was, uh, then I get, I go to USC and I get into, you know, I, I get offered different opportunities. Um, arguably lucky a lot. I get offered opportunities just kind of out of the blue, but yeah, everywhere I went, like, I became a lifeguard. I'm the only black guy. <laughs> like, um, you know, I, I start working in the PR department. I'm the only black guy. I think there was a, dip, a guy in like sort of like in an adjacent department for like a, a minute. Um, and, you know, as I'm going to I'm getting invited to bigger and bigger meetings. Um, yeah, there are some sort of um, administrators at USC who are black, to be sure. But like by and large. Uh, I'm used to being the only one in the room. You know, I move here to Austin and I'm going to the Chamber of Commerce and I'm going to different entrepreneur meetings and I'm like lecturing in colleges. I'm just, I'm always, almost always the only black guy in the room. It's changed now. It's changed, I would say, in the last 10 years. Interesting. And how does that, how do you kind of like, how do you kind of like navigate that and, 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 do you kind of lean into it and like, or do you kind of remove yourself from that? You know, growing up, 
it, it's like any kid, you know, like you, you're what you want us to not be different, right? You, you know that you are, but you kind of don't, you know, you just want to kind of fit in. Um, I have no doubt that when I was in high school, I spoke with probably more of a country accent right? because I'll find myself doing it if I'm in North Carolina for a week. And I think that's happened since I moved to Austin. So <laughs> it's, uh, and I remember when we moved to North Carolina, I think I was three or four. And one of the first things I asked my mom was like, why do these people talk this way? What is going mm-hmm. on here? Um, do they not know how to speak English? Which, by the way, is not a way to endear yourself to the locals. <laughs> and uh, and so she just – she adopted the accent pretty much right, right away and I never did um, for the most part. But I, I certainly, you know – Somebody who also who's empathetic, you're always just trying to figure out like how you're going to fit in. And so, you know, I'm not going to say the name of the company. You and I worked at a company together recently, mm-hmm. and um, and we had an employee who brought it to my attention um, that somebody had something had said something. Um, this particular individual was black, and someone had said uh, when they found out the credentials that person had before they got hired. They're like, oh, you really are smart. Like they genuinely just thought. Oh, wow. I you were I hired. About that. I know. I, obviously, I couldn't tell anybody that. Um, but they genuinely thought that, that that individual was hired because of their race. Wow. I hope that person was at least junior. No comment. Okay, cool. So, so okay. So, so going – um, I kind of want to. I can. Uh, there's two different things that that I'm 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 wanting. I really want to kind of like touch on, and uh, that's part of your story. And one of them is during your time at in North Carolina. The other one is during your time at USC. Sure. So I guess we'll go in chronological order, okay. and we'll talk about North Carolina. Um. And my question is um, now you've told me stories about the day before uh, you took the SATs, yeah, and what that was like. And I, I really wanted to touch on that because I think that that's a it's a really interesting story. And um, I think in today's climate, it also is really important to talk about that because I mean you're. I mean, you're not that old. You're what, 40? 47. 47. Wow. I know, right? I keep forgetting you're so old. So <laughs> I know. Yeah, me too. But still, I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, for these young men that are coming up, man, like it is a different, it is a much better climate. Are we there yet? No, we are not. Um, there's still a lot of... Um, there's still a lot of ground to cover um, in in the in the in the stride stride to uh, equality, but um, but we need to also remember that it wasn't that long ago that it was way worse. And so I wanted to kind of like touch on what that was like and what the story is behind the day before you took your SATs to get into USC. Sure. Um, as I mentioned, we moved a lot. And so at some point when I was in high school, uh, my mom found a farm way outside of town and not outside of our town, outside of a neighboring town. Um, it was 50 miles from the farm to the high school. And so what I would do is I would stay, 
you know, with friends or really anybody that I could to avoid having to make that 50-mile drive, the last 50 miles of which was just like from town out into the woods. Like, and I broke down out there a couple times. There's nothing out there, right? Except for people who really, really didn't like people like me. And um, and it was – No, dude. Uh, I tell people, like, when I, when I try to describe what it's like, I'm like, have you seen that movie? They're like, yeah, it's like that. With a little bit less violence, but like it's mm. – like it's really like that. People talk like that. It's it's um it's really really rural. It's really really you know way out there. Um, yeah, it's um. There's so many stories, right? Like, um, you know, the number of times I've been like you know out in the middle of the woods and like, or and, you know, like where we lived out there and you know run into people and like I'm gonna have to fight, right? Like it's just me and like these four rednecks and they want to go. Right. And they've all got shotguns in the truck. And like, I don't know if this is it for me. Right. Like that had more of an emotional toll than I realized at the time. I didn't realize that until until I left. And whenever I went back, that's when it finally hit me like that. The knowledge that there were people who would have happily killed me and um, and it could happen whenever. Like I was not safe. And uh, I mean, people shot through our window. It's not like it was, they were empty threats. Um, but I, I don't know, call it what you want to call it. We They're prepared to start some shit. Relatively lucky. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I learned, I was, I was a tiny kid, you know, I was on the football team. I wouldn't say I played football. I was on the football team because uh, they didn't cut. And um, we weighed 125 pounds. It was tiny, right? I think it was 135 pounds when I graduated high school. And uh, and so like no one was you know, no one was intimidated by me in the slightest. So, um, the night before my SATs, we I'm studying with some friends, and I, you know, was in the sort of the nerd group at school, um, despite being technically on the football team, and uh, I stayed at a friend's house who lived walking distance from our high school so that I wouldn't have to make that hour long. It was, you know, over an hour drive in my very questionable car in the morning. And um, my mom calls at like, I don't know, like it, would, it was just getting dark. So it was maybe like 7.30 at night or something like that. And um, she's like, I need you to come home. And I'm like, mom, like we're over here like, you know, cramming for SATs. I got SATs in the morning. Like we're going to go to bed soon. And uh, she's like, "Well, I'm, I'm sorry. I need you to. I need you to come home because there's people outside saying they're going to burn the house down." And I'm like, "Mom, why would you call me? Right? I'm like, what? I'm 16. What am I going to do? <laughs> um, why don't you call the sheriff? Call the police?" And she's like, "I did. She called 911, and uh, and somebody answered the phone, and they said, uh, "What's your address?" And she gave me the address. And the person on the other end of the line said, well, sometimes you get what you got coming and hung up. Mm. And so, you know, here I am like telling my friends, I'm like, I have to go. They're like, what are you talking about? Like, I, I have to go. And like my best case scenario is I'm going to get in my beat up old POS 72 car, Peugeot. I'm going to drive an hour into the woods to confront an angry mob of racists. It's my be- my best case scenario. It's not a very good scenario, right? And um, 
I'm going to go. Like, obviously. Like, I'm not to my mom. I'm going to go. So, um, yeah. Good. I mean, if I was in the same situation, I mean, I mean, yeah. it's like you don't have an option. I mean, you right. have, you've got to go. And, uh, like, you know, like, I don't, it's not like we have cell phones. Like, I don't know <clears throat> what I'm going to find when I get there. Is she going to be okay? Like, you and know. this is, this is in the, like, this is what, 90? Yeah, this is like 97. This is in like 97. I mean, it's, a, it's not that long ago, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. So, um, I get in the car and uh, I'm pulling out of the driveway and uh, someone comes running out. They're like, hey, your mom's on the phone again. Um, like, okay. And so I get out of the car and, and like I pull off to the side of the driveway. There's this really, really long driveway, which I guess was very fortunate. And I pull off the side of the driveway and I, and I go back downstairs and I answer the phone. And, um, and she's like, it's okay. You don't have to come. I'm like, what, what, what happened? And she's like, uh, a sheriff's deputy showed up and everybody's leaving. Now, Again, think about how far out in the middle of nowhere we live. So, you know, in the it was less than five minutes between when I got that phone call and I'm in my car leaving and the sheriff's deputy has showed up. Like, they weren't dispatched from somewhere. They were already there. Um, they just took off the robe and put on the cowboy hat. Yeah, and it's, you know, and I don't know if they were there to, like, let people have a little fun and then, you know, stop it before I get out of hand. I don't know what the intent was. Um, you know, speaking of, you know, my mom and her, like, you know, sort of like independent spirit, um, what happened was she basically said to herself, this could be the end. And if it is, I'm going to make sure that I give somebody peace of my mind. And so she called back 911 with the intent of unloading on that operator. And she called back 911 and what happened was she got a different person. And it's in a town small enough that that was unlikely. But she did get a different person. The person's like, wait, 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 what are you talking about? And she told them what was going on. And they're like, hold on, we have somebody in the area. And so, um, and that was it. I'm like, and, you know, I'm still like, do, she's like, no, there's nothing. She's like, the, the sheriff's deputy's here. There's nothing to do. Everybody's leaving. There's no point in coming back. And I'm like, okay, like, I, I'm just going to try to like, get my head on straight, go try to sleep and get up in the morning and take this test. But like, I don't know if it was in the end motivating or not, but like I knew that that test was that SAT score was my ticket out of town and I was getting out of town and, uh, I did, I did, I did well enough and it, it got me into a good school and I was gone. And you've mentioned in the past and uh, th I think this is, it's 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 an interesting factoid, right? Um, that I think a lot of people would be interested in, in 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 hearing about is there was a road. There's a road right around the corner that has a very um, descriptive, <laughs> distinct. Well, name. okay, yeah, that's so that's actually back um, closer to where I grew up when I was younger, right? So um, before I moved to that high school, I went. Uh, we lived up the mountain. We literally called it right. So Cashers is at the top of the mountain. Silva's at the bottom of the mountain. Um, Silva and Cullowee, and so um, kind of if you were headed kind of up the mountain and you hung a left. Um, gosh, I don't remember the names of those places now. Up past Cullowee. Yeah, there was a town out there. We went to go. Um, my mom was always 
like people would call her to rescue some horse. Like we have some horse with a broken leg. We're going to shoot it unless you want it. Like it's easier to just give it to you than deal with the dead body. And she was always rescuing animals, horses, people, I guess horses or animals, but like random. I mean, I would come home and expect anything. Might be a fox at the house, might be a chicken at the house, might be a goat at the house, might be a, an alcoholic at the house, like whatever it was. Oh, a wolf. Yeah. Yeah. She had a wolf for a while. Um, and, you know, we got a we got a horse with a broken leg from Burt Reynolds. They're like, you know, she'd been asking Burt Reynolds and she just would reach out to people and be like, hey, you want to donate a horse or money or whatever? And they're like, we got a horse with a broken leg. You want it? She's like, we'll take it. <laughs> um, you know, and, and that horse, you know, this bloodline was, you know, top of the line. So and we bred that horse and, and that actually did end up helping quite a bit. Um, Moosey, but that horse was a real asshole. But um, <laughs> he was an asshole. He bit the shit out of me. Uh, uh, so yeah so we go to look at this horse this is not Moosey it's a different horse and we're always going random places and we, she would you know we'd be out in the middle of nowhere like so far off the beaten path and I'm like mom I don't think I should be here right like you maybe should just go to these places without me and she's like everybody like we live in the mountains like everybody knows who I am and they know who you are like she's like it doesn't make a difference like it makes a difference to me like you don't have to drag me out here but this one particular place yeah it was called nigger skull and mm-hmm. uh and, it, and and I'm like okay like mom really and she's like you know it's like an old name like it's not you know <laughs> it's not that old they still call it that they haven't changed it uh do we have to go um yeah, and I remember it came up once when we were when we were in high school. Someone was like, some kid was talking about it, and the other like this girl's like, "Hey, don't look at me, like don't don't say." And uh, he's like, "This is what it's called," and he wasn't wrong. It's what it's called. Mm. And it, it, it that that to me is just so it's 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 crazy, but. It's also really sad because there's a lot of places that um, people don't realize that there's there's still they still have the same names. You know what I mean? Like, for instance, for instance, um, you know, there's a really small town in um, in you know kind of central East Texas that, had, and I've I've talked to you about this. Is has got you know they've got their their courthouse, and then. Across the street from the courthouse, there's a restaurant called uh, the Hanging Tree Restaurant, and um, it's still called that. Yep. And um, that's because in front of the courthouse, they had two trees. They had one tree to hang basically the blacks and then another tree to hang the Hispanics. There's two trees, which... I don't know how I should take this, but I, I, I believe that the Hispanic tree is a lot shorter. I, I don't – that's what I've heard. Uh, <laughs> but, but yeah. I'm not sure what to read into that. Yeah, but, um, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, we, even to this day, I think they're still talking about the statue in front of the courthouse. It's still uh, – um, I know it was a Confederate general or something for a long time. Mm-hmm. I think it still is. You know, there's all of the – I grew up around a lot of rebel flags, right? And um, and it was always, you know, people like, it's not, it's not, it's not hate, it's heritage. You know, the mm-hmm. stickers, it's not hate, it's heritage. 
Yeah, I mean, it's well, not really true, though, right? Like, I, I used to buy into that narrative when I was in college. Like, get it? You know, I mean, I was, you know, I I had a belt buckle that had a Confederate flag on it oh, that yeah, had, I mean, had the word Bubba on it, and I yeah. thought it was hilarious, and I would wear that. And the Dukes of Hazard was my favorite show. I had the General oh, yeah. Lee. I had the toy car, and and um, you know, once in a while, someone be like, "Are you sure you want to be playing with that?" I'm like, "What are you talking about?" Like. Right? Like, I didn't, I didn't get, get it. it either, yeah. And then, you know, Star Wars came out and the Rebels were the good guys. I'm like, this all adds up, right? The Rebels are the good guys. And people were like, nah. Like, people would just sort of, like, start to try to explain it to me and then just be like, you know what? Uh, do what you're doing, right? Um, and so it wasn't until later that I learned more about, like, like these things, these symbols of, like, the you know, the Confederate battle flag. Like, these came along way after the fact. It wasn't like, oh, we had the Civil War and we got through it. And then, like, we're going to keep some stuff around. Like, no, 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 that shit went away. And they brought it back as it's just like, you know, um, you know, like, when people are like, Blue Lives Matter is, yeah, obviously. But when you when you offer it up as, as an alternative to Black Lives Matter, like it's like a counter argument. Like, wait, wait a minute. Hold on. Right. Like so the, the Confederate flag that we all know is was brought up as a in response to civil rights. Yeah, it was the right? daughters of the Confederacy. Yeah. And um, and I'm sure there are people who they don't I mean, most people don't know history. In general, right? And I have no doubt that there are people that I grew up with, that I went to school with, who felt like it was an important artifact of their heritage, right? Like, who don't know this whole story. Um, and and it's not racist for them. And it never was. And I think that, you know, in, in the, the world we live in now, I mean, the statues, too, like, came along after the fact as we were fighting for civil rights they're like, hey, we need some statues of these people who were against that. It was always meant to be um, a counterbalance. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I uh, I serve on a, a board of a nonprofit, and we had a we had a dinner for the board, and um, a couple of women came. A couple uh, of black women came. I'm having a conversation with this woman who's a lawyer about, you know, about this kind of stuff. And I'm watching, right, so, you know, up until now, I've been, like, the only black person on the board in these meetings. And I'm watching some of the other white board members get really uncomfortable, right? Um, And I'm I'm sure these are people who've, like, they've never done or said anything to make me even remotely uncomfortable. Like, this is clearly a place that they do not want to go. They don't want to be in the room for this conversation. They are definitely not participating in this conversation. Um, which is a problem because that in itself is is pretending like this stuff doesn't exist. I think, I, and that's part of the reason for this. You know, the whole reason you know for this podcast is is uh, kind of going places where people don't feel comfortable going, especially as men. You know, and um, you know, acknowledging that there's difficult conversations to have out there. Yeah. It's um you know, I've got I've got kids who are my wife's white, so they're, you know, lighter than me. One of whom can easily pass for white. I think about that, right? Like is will their lives be demonstrably different in this day and age, you know, because no one's ever gonna look at him and know. 
that he's a quarter black. Like it's just not. Um, whereas you know, with a daughter, you can you can kind of tell. But you know, you got so many racially ambiguous kids running around. I feel like the whole world is changing. I think that mm-hmm. you know, to your point, it's kind of the older generation of folks who are really not sure. I think there's a lot of very, very well-meaning, I'm going to say older white dudes in particular, who are like, I'm not racist. I just don't I don't see race. I don't think about race. And they mean it, kind of. Um, but ignoring, saying I don't see race means like I don't see everything you had to overcome to get here, to mm-hmm. be in this room with me, Right. To acknowledge a story. Um, so while I appreciate that, like, you don't treat me different, right? Um, and I understand that, like, look, we've all had our own struggle, right? Like, I'm, obviously, I know plenty of white people who've been through some really serious shit to get where they are in life. Um, and people have been discriminated against in all different kinds of ways. But I think that, you know, it's it's a little too convenient to ignore, you know, um, the fact that like our our history of of race relations in the United States of America, even up until pretty recently, is is a problematic one. Mm-hmm. So going back, um, boardroom in the nonprofit, mm-hmm. were they just they didn't want to have any type of conversation about what you were talking about? Or? I mean, I'm. I think I'm, I'm I'm empathetic because I don't even know if it's the right word. Growing up, I had to have my head on a swivel, right? Like if someone, I mean, they just thought it was fun to punch me, right? So I'm used to like paying attention to what's going on with people in the room. And, you know, I'm looking at this particular person, I'm watching the expression on their face change as we're having this conversation and sort of making a decision as we're having this conversation. Like, am I going to back off at this conversation Right, like offer kind of more of a nuanced view, right? Like she and I are agree, right, about this stuff, um, you know, and I can see how visibly uncomfortable one particular person is. And what were you all discussing? Like, was it? I don't. I don't remember exactly. It was, I know it was around race relations, police relations. She's an attorney. Um, her father was a famous attorney. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And it's, which there's not that many black people who can be like, no, like my fam- my father was a famous black professional, not an athlete but a famous black professional in the United mm-hmm. States of America, that's a real small group of people. Um, so it was just, you know, we were talking about how things have changed and how they haven't changed. And um, I'm not sure that either she, I, I doubt she remembers the details of that conversation any better than I do. It's just the type of stuff that like we would talk about, you know, if it was just her and I. And, you know, and this person wasn't right next to us, just close enough. They could definitely hear was what we're talking about. And they like just looked really, really uncomfortable. And we're kind of getting towards the end of the meeting anyway. And I felt like, you know, people were uh, I suspect that, you know, um he just went home a little earlier than he might have otherwise. 
Um, but I always, you know, I've I've tried to play the. I don't know what the word is. Um, be the person who feels responsible for making white people feel comfortable. Mm. I've definitely um, done that a lot of my life. Like, you know, like I want to be around like, like the people who were like, I know that they, they might talk about it, but they're afraid they're going to say something wrong or whatever. So I just kind of like, like try to give them space to, to have that conversation, right. To, you know, to, um, to say, you know, like, well, I just, I don't think that it's fair that black kids, you know, get any special consideration going to college, right? Like trying to create space for that conversation. I think it's a necessary conversation to your point, right? part of why we're here. Um, but I end up kind of being like a, an apologist of sorts. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. So kind of switching gears, um, and I know that you, um, you, we, we've talked about this in the past, but you know, you got out of North Carolina. You wanted to get as far as away as possible. You should have gone to Texas A&M, but you didn't. <clears throat> but, you know, that's, so that's, that's neither here nor there. So you get into USC. Yep. And you move into the dorms. Yes. And then um, eventually you get an opportunity to become uh, head of the dorm, right? Uh, not, an RA. Not quite. So what happens is, um, you know, I'm broke, right? Like I ended up not taking the scholarship because – I think we all – are in college. Right. I mean, I am not taking the scholarship because it was, um, it was military, right? Like it would have been a commitment that I decided I didn't want. Like mostly I decided I didn't want to be yelled at. Like I was like, <laughs> no, go, go fuck yourself. So um, like, this is not going to end well. I'm just going to get like kicked out. I don't know what, uh, you know, dishonorable discharge from college is, but I'm probably going to get it. So, um, so, you know, I'm just standing on the dotted line. I'm taking, you know, I'm trying to figure out, like, how to mitigate these costs. Like, and there's all this stuff that I don't know. I just think you, like, you go to college and then all of your expenses are college, right? But, like, you have to eat and stuff. Like, and yes, some stuff goes, you can kind of wrap it up in your overall college expenses. Like, you can have, like, a meal plan on a card and you can use your college ID to pay for that. But, like, that's not, you can't take that to a restaurant. You sure as heck can't take it to the grocery store. And... And I have no idea, like, I've never, I had moved out, you know, <laughs> not that long after the incident, uh, the night of my SATs. And I'm, so I'm living, you know, just like on people's couches and stuff. I've basically been homeless. And then I get to USC and, you know, <clears throat> I'm trying to figure out what I can do to live on my own. I have no idea what I'm doing. And, like, I didn't know they closed dorms for holidays. I'm like, where are you going to go? I'm like, Go. Like, oh, where are you going to go when they close the dorms next week? And I'm like, no, I live here. They're like, no, they're closing it. I'm like, you can't, this, you can't close my apartment. That's where I live. And they're like, sorry, you got to go. Um, and there's lots of things. You, I just had no idea how to navigate. Right? Like, I'd never, I didn't go on any college tours. I'd never been to a college campus other than the one next to where I grew up um, until I went to USC. I'd never been to Los Angeles. I just got on a plane. I'm like, one-way ticket. Now I live in Los Angeles. And... So I found out – I don't know exactly how it happened. I found out the residential advisors, right, like, you know, your, your college hall monitors get 
you know, you get free room and board, or at least free room um, in exchange for, I don't know, basically what, being a narc or whatever. Like, um, you know, technically, you're, 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 I think it's, it's, in fairness to those of you out there who are RAs uh, or are, um, it's, you know, and the responsibility is more of kind of a peer mentor, right? Or a peer, a peer um, counselor. Um, you're supposed to look out for, you know, kids who are dealing with shit. And there's a lot of people dealing with shit in college. So I'm studying psych anyway. It makes sense. I love the idea of, of, of kind of being that, in that counselor role. And, and I, I take the class. But again, um, not, I'm not a good student in the traditional sense. Like I'm, my grades are awful. And so um, they called me aside at the end. You know, like you, you take the class and then you find out what your placement's going to be. Where are they going to put you? And they – the like – vice president who oversees the whole program, the whole residential advisor program for USC calls me into his office and he's like, I've got a really unique opportunity. I think it's perfect for you. I'm like, cool. Like whatever it is. Like, I mean, I'm just going to say, yeah, whatever it is. Right. Like, and he's like, I want you to be the program coordinator for Somerville. And I'm like, I'm not aware of a housing. I didn't know we had a place called Somerville. Like what, and he's like, oh, it's in this tower. I'm like, oh, why is it called a different thing? I don't understand. He goes, oh, well, you know, it's for um, um, it's for it's for it's for kids who um, it's for students who uh, would 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 feel more comfortable around um, people that they have um, uh, the similar culture to. I'm like, oh, we have a black floor? And he's like, whoa, no, 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 I didn't say that. I'm like, we have a, I didn't know we had a black floor. He's like, stop calling it that. I'm like, no, I, I had no idea. But we have like, so we have a floor that's just all black kids? I had absolutely no idea this was happening. And he's like, first of all, stop calling. And it, this is the, this is, was this is a dean or is this a, a vice president? This is he's, a vice president. He's way up the, the list. We're still friends. I like this guy a lot. And, um, <laughs> and he's like, He's like, yeah, okay, right. So I said, so what's the program coordinator? He's like, well, you know, someone who um, helps coordinate different things they might want to do. And I'm like, and I'm like, in my head, I'm like, why me? Like, this makes no sense. Like, you know, like the the five, the four black people I knew growing up, grow, knew growing up, um, we're all in the like mountains. Like the, the, these kids are all like, urban kids, right? That's the whole point, right? Is that they speak a language that I literally don't speak. I don't know what they're talking about. I know some of them because we have some classes together and I see them at the gym, right? But I don't know what they're talking about. Their nickname for me is, huh? Because I don't like, like, what? Like, what? I don't, like this was a bonics was like a real like a whole thing a whole debate at the time about whether or not a bonics is its own language and we had an administrator who would really like make a champion for that cause so these kids they all speak a bonics and I don't I'm like why in God's name would you want me to be a coordinator for a group of people that I am incapable of relating to you know culturally I'm, yeah I'm like I don't it doesn't make sense and then I'm like oh oh like and I didn't say all of this out loud right but I'm like oh I get it I, oh you want somebody who looks like them and talks like you like that's what mm. the ask here is right you need basically you need a a plant <laughs> like you need somebody I'm I mean I don't know what they're talking about any more than you do but you figure 
that you'll have me to talk to, and at least you'll understand me, and I'll try to translate whatever it is they said to me. And that was a really interesting, like that was sort of an epiphany for me. Because um, my best friend at the time, my only like my like black friend, who's same, half black, half white, you know, and he went to like super upper middle class private school, right? Like his dad was like an Air Force pilot. And uh, and we would get this, right? So he became the president of a fraternity of one of the white fraternities. They have black fraternities that are not part of the system. Right. And so he became a president of one of the quote unquote white fraternities. And like most fraternities had a black guy. Like it was like a thing. Like every fraternity had like a black guy. I don't know if there was like a lottery or what. But so um, – we used to joke, like, I'm like, I can't join the fraternity. You're already in it. Like, you filled the only spot. <laughs> like, and, um, but he went, because he became president of the fraternity, he went to a meeting of all the white fraternities. And the person, you know, checking everybody in is like, oh, no, this is just the, um, just the IFC. It's not the, he's like, he knew immediately what they're getting at. He's like, what? They're like, oh, it's just the, this is just the IFC. It's not the. He's like, okay. And he like grabs a packet and they're like, no, it's not the, it, this is just for, it's just the, it's, 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 it's just the IFC. She's like, those are the only fraternities that are here today. It's, it's just a, and he's like, uh-huh. And he's like, not letting him off the hook for anything. Cause that's just his personality. Right. And they finally like sort of gave up like, okay, well, like this dumb black guy's not getting it. Like he doesn't understand he's not supposed to be here. And then they finally figure out he is, in fact, president of one of the IFC fraternities. Wow. But, like, when he and I would walk in a room, because, you know, at that point, like, I had a growth spurt. I, like, put on 60 pounds, grew four inches. Like, he ran track. And so, like, we're both two big black dudes. We walk in a room, and we're perceived as two big black dudes, period. Like, it was hilarious to us because we would see the room sort of, like, pause. Like, do we need to worry about these guys, <laughs> right? Like... Like, we took up space. For two guys who really kind of didn't growing up, it was interesting to us to see how people reacted to us, especially when it was just the two of us together. Wow. So... So you you took the you took the RA job, right? I didn't take the job. Oh, you didn't take the job. Because it made no sense. Like, this is ridiculous. Like, I literally don't know the thing that you want me... I'm not that person. It does Like, I... I don't know. I'm a little surprised I turned it down and in I, retrospect, but it, I knew it made no sense. I think that also speaks volumes for you too, because I mean, I think most of us would have been shit. Yeah, I'll take the job. Like, take the free rent. Yeah. I don't know. I was full of piss and vinegar. I figured I was just going to be rich anyway. Who cared? Right? <laughs> just, just take one more loan. It'll work out. Wow. Well. I know you have uh, you've got an important meeting to head off to. Oh, so I do. Yeah, I'm watching the time for you. So I appreciate that. But um, this has been a fantastic conversation. And uh, do you have any any um, any final notes that you want to share? Um, maybe for you know a young a young person in uh, you know that uh, is coming up in a similar fashion as you. What do you want them to know? What do you what do you want to what do you want to leave them? Well, a couple of things. I'll say first of all, I mean, you know, I'm I'm a big fan of you. I'm a big fan of this idea. I love the idea of learning, man. And 
what you're trying to do here. I think that, um, you know, kids growing up in this day and age, they, they, you know, my wife and I just had this conversation. They live in an entirely different reality than the one we grew up in. Like, it isn't even recognizable. I think it's almost impossible to compare. Even in the last 20 years, it's completely changed. Yeah. I mean, really, you know, the iPhone came out, what, 2008? Seven. Yeah, 2007, eight, yeah. Uh, seven. And um, I think it's, I mean, you really can't calculate how much the world has changed based on the fact that everybody has a handheld computer um, in their pocket. So um, I don't know. I don't know how much of this translates, how much of this is is really, you know, useful to to young guys who are coming up now. I will say, I think that, you know, the difference when I went to USC and I met people who grew up near USC and USC is not in a, not in a great neighborhood. They would, and, and even a lot of our police officers who were from Los Angeles, they would say that USC is very racist. Uh, I'm sorry. They would say LA is very racist in general. They would also, some of them believed USC was racist. And, and so Rodney King, man, was just yeah, so that was years old. Rodney King was right before I went. Yeah, it happened right before I went to USC. Like, um, like was it ni- was it ninety two? I think it was ninety three. Yeah, I, so I get to USC in ninety four, right? Mm-hmm. And so sorry, yeah, the thing with the the SATs was two years before that, right? So that was the ninety one uh, or ninety two. So what i found was they would tell me that you know, like i don't have these type of opportunities and i would i would get the exact opportunities that they were saying that they couldn't get and that's when like again like it was like oh okay it's not about this is not racism right it's more of something around it's 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 socioeconomic right it's classism it's culturalism right like what they're saying is um not a, not that a black guy can't get the job but a black guy who talks the way that you talk, who sounds like they were raised in an urban environment is not getting the job, right? Because because other people, and this is very much true today, you find that it just comes down to what people are comfortable with, right? So when you talk about diversity and like this whole, like there was this whole diversity movement and then it like everyone just kind of stopped talking about that because a lot of organizations are like, yeah, like we hired a chief diversity officer. We're good now. And then all the chief diversity officers are like, we are not good. <laughs> like we barely started and then you all stopped wanting to talk about it. And I get that, you know, like a lot like the Me Too movement, you know, some of my friends who are older, white, successful executives, you know, between me and them and we're friends, we'll sit down and drink a whiskey and they'll be like, yeah, like I'm terrified to talk about this shit. Like I'm not having this conversation in a meeting with like people I don't know. Like they're just afraid that they'll say something that they don't even know they're not supposed to, right? Mm -hmm. Like they've become aware enough to know that like, People are looking a, and people are listening. Field, they right. don't know where the mines are. Um, and they really they don't they don't want to figure it out. They don't want to spend their life like with a minesweeper trying to figure out if this is safe to say or that's safe to say. It's just safer for them to be in a room mm-hmm. with like maybe a guy like me, but probably a guy like them. That they feel like they can just, you know, have a conversation and no one's going to call HR. There's not going to be a report about it. Um, and I don't blame people for not wanting problems that they didn't know they had. Mm-hmm. Like, I understand that. Um, but 
to your point, if we don't have these conversations, we're not going to make the real headway, right? So, I mean, that's really, I think that even now, we're still dealing with this, these nuances of like, you know, how you're perceived as a black person isn't just, are you black? It's, it is, it's how black are you? It's how do you speak, right? Um, what shade of black are you? Yeah. That's also big, you know, a big point of contention with, even within the, you know, African-American culture. Yeah. And I, I feel like I hear that more from Hispanic um, people than I do from from black folks. I mean, certainly, like, you know, you, it, what you hear more in, in the black communities is the good hair, right? Like, if your hair is more white, mm-hmm. less less curly, less tangly, it's the good hair, right? So, like, that's sort of, like, the I think the cultural equivalent. Like, you're just, if you're a little more white, you're just better, easier to deal with, you fit in better, just is good for you, right? You might not be perceived as black at a job interview, that kind of stuff. Um you know, it's uh, these are things we're very much coming to terms with as a society right now, um, and I I don't know I don't know what's going to happen. Um, I know that there I'm accepted in a lot of places that I wouldn't have been growing up, um, but I know that has a lot to do with the, the way that I speak. Right, like I've definitely met people and they're like, oh, and I'm like, and I'm like I know exactly what that means. I know it right away. I'm like, oh, you sound. Wow. No, do tell. I sound, you sound very educated. Oh, yeah, no. Yeah, I went to a good school. Thanks. Um, You know, I still get that from time to time, but uh, I don't have any idea, you know, really, (laughs) other than talking about it, what we can do to, to move the needle. Well, that's great. Well, thank you for talking about it. Yeah, of course. Thanks for inviting me to talk about it thank you so much and um that pretty much wraps up today's episode with elijah may um elijah it's been fantastic it's always a pleasure working oh, with thanks, you man. and uh, having you in the room thank you thank you and um we will um i'm sure we'll probably bring you on later to as a set, as a as a part two to talk, talk, talk about, about something, something else besides race, yeah. Oh I yeah, mean, for sure, for sure. And I'll talk about. It. Let's talk about startups. Up there there you go. Cool. Yeah. Thank you. Well, thank you. Appreciate it. And thank you so much for listening to the Learning Man Podcast. My name is Omar Cantu. I could not thank you enough for joining me on this journey. If you enjoyed what you heard and would like some more of that content, we're going to be dropping new episodes every Friday. So make sure and hit that follow button wherever you listen to your podcast and write us a review because it really does help the channel. Share what topic you want to tackle next or maybe the name of a guest that you want to hear from. Thank you again for joining in this journey. It means so much to me.